You're listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. Well, good morning again. Welcome to our gathering at City Light South Church. Good to see you here. My name is Tyler, one of the elders here, if we have not met. Well, if you have your Bible... Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6, if it's not already there. I'm going to read the whole passage, so starting in verse 1 and down to verse 18. Be careful, Jesus says, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may, your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy. Like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put, your he- put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word for us this morning. Um, last week, we finished chapter 5 with Jesus Um, making that final statement that just completely raises the bar on what it means to live a righteous life. He says, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to give you a list of commands that you can tick off and be, you know, get to that top rung of holiness and be satisfied. I want you to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The righteous life starts with our eyes and our hearts drawn to the Father. I I mentioned that perfection is not some ideal standard that exists somewhere out in outer space somewhere that we can achieve if we try hard enough, but perfection is a person. Perfection is your Father. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 18, this passage flows on from that, and it really underscores the same point. So if you have this, Bible, this passage open still, I hope it's still open in your Bible or on your device, I want you to do a quick scan. The one we just read, 6, 1 to 18, what do you think is the most common keyword, the most frequently occurring keyword in those 18 verses? There's probably the, like the and, but don't count those. But keywords, what's the most common one? Give you a clue, it occurs 10 times in this passage. You can call it out if you see it. 
I heard hypocrite. I heard prayer. No? Ten times in this word is the word father. It's the most common word in this passage. This passage, more than anything else, is about your life as a Christian lived in the presence of your heavenly father. Now, I don't think this will shock anyone in this room, but the world that you and I live in does not prepare you or reward you for living a life in the presence of your heavenly father. In fact, your world, the world prepares you to do the opposite. See, the world wants you to live on stage, but not in the presence of God, in the presence of them, whoever them happens to be. And we see this especially now in the, the, the age of everything online, of social media. That's probably the most obvious example. Um, used to be, uh, uh, maybe, well, it still is, but I remember, you know, even when I was younger, which was a long time ago, uh, we see ads everywhere. Everything's an ad. Everything's a commercial. It's on our clothes. It's on the, you know, on the signs on the side of the road. It's on TV. It's, every, you know, advertising is everywhere. And now we live in a day and age where we have learned Maybe we don't even realize that's what we're doing, but we've learned to advertise ourselves. That's essentially what social media is. Life in 2022, for many people, is a life meant to be lived on stage in front of an audience. Hopefully a grateful and empathetic audience, but an audience nonetheless. I don't want to just, this is not just a slam on social media. Um, we're going to see this in, in this passage today that we human beings have been selling ourselves. We've been play-acting on stage from the beginning. Um, the word hypocrite, in fact, is a word whose origins is in the world of Greek theater. A hypocrite was someone who simply wore a costume, wore a mask, played a role on stage. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. It means to be acting or speaking in such a way that does not reflect your true self doesn't reflect what you truly believe or what you claim to believe. Um, that's a hypocrite. I don't know if you can think about when you were a kid and you went on holiday, like what some of the, thing, the favorite things, that, the favorite memories that you have. When I was a kid, um, I lived, believe it or not, before the age of the iPhone. And so we actually traveled with real cameras that required real film. And one of my favorite things to do when you get home was take that film and get it developed and printed and see all the pictures. And if you want to pay, you know, pay extra money, you can get it done in an hour. In an hour, and you could see the pictures, and you could go through them and get rid of all the blurry ones and pick out the best ones. But you've only got you know, a limited number that you can actually uh, choose from. Now, of course, the world's completely different in that you can take thousands of pictures in an instant. You can go and stand next to the big pineapple or wherever you are and take a selfie. And within two minutes, you can pick the best one. You can edit it to magazine quality and send it out to thousands of people around the world in under two minutes. It's a, it's a different world. And so we've, we've all kind, come to accept this as normal. And, and, and why we share it, like the, why we take the time to even do that, is because, why? We want feedback. We want likes, we want reactions, we want comments. Um, it really feeds a fundamental need that we have to be affirmed, to be validated, for other people to think that we're good, that we're beautiful, that we're funny. 
It's a fundamental need that is actually built into you as a person. It's how God made you. I'm wondering here, any, how many of you here have an Instagram account? Most of you. Most of you. Anybody here have more than one Instagram account? A couple of you. Now, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, for those of you, I think everybody I saw, the couple that raised their hand and have more than one, are definitely under the age of 30. Um, there was, there's a few articles that came out um, a few years ago, and I actually didn't know this until I... Well, no, I'm not going to throw my kids under the bus. I didn't know this. I've just learned recently um, that some people have more than one Instagram account because they want to choose or limit their audience. And so you have people that have an Instagram account that's public that goes out to everybody that everyone can see and respond to, and then one that's a private one that's just for their close circle of friends. And so on the private one is where you put, you know, the, the unflattering pictures of yourself, where you, you're, you're more free to be yourself, and, and you're less worried about what people are going to think. There's a... There's, there's a it's a trend of the fact that we just kind of assume that we're meant to live in public, that we're meant to live on stage, but it's also a sign that doing that all the time is actually exhausting and can be, it can, like it can be incredibly painful for people who don't get the feedback that they want or get negative feedback or get bullied um, online. And so this is the world that we live in. It does not prepare us to be content living in front of the Father, in the presence of God. It's a life that we feel the need to always be performing for people on stage. And this kind of mentality can seep in and has seeped in for long, many, many years before social media into our religion, into the way we practice our faith. The way we practice our faith can very easily slide and slip into a performance. And that's what Jesus is, is talking about here. He's talking about religious things. Next week, we're going to see um, him talking about more ordinary things. But right now, he's talking about religious things, things like prayer, fasting, giving to the poor. All of these are religious acts. But he, in this instance, they're acts that are done for an audience. So if you're listening to this this morning or online, I, I want to tell you this up front. I want you to know that your life does not have to be a constant performance. You, you don't have to be on stage in front of the watching world. You can actually step off the stage and go to your closet, as it were, and have intimate time with your Heavenly Father, whose posture toward you is love and grace and validation and not an ounce of judgment for those who are in Christ. And the more you do that, see, the less you'll be compelled to seek the validation of everyone else. And the less exhausted and burnt out you will be. See, we're not anti-religion here. Jesus is not anti-religion. He's just anti-fake religion. He's anti-performative religion. And what you're going to see, and what we're going to see here is that true religion is not the opposite of relationship. True, rela true religion is built on having a relationship with your heavenly Father, longing for the ultimate reward of pleasing Him, of knowing Him, of being united with Him. So let me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text. Um, Father, thank you that we can 
listen to your words. Help us to be attentive to what Jesus is saying. Jesus, we, you spoke these words hundreds, thousands of years before social media existed. This is not a problem of social media. This is a problem of our own hearts that we look for validation everywhere else but in simply being in communion with you. Teach us to come to you and find the rest from performance, the rest that our souls so desperately need this morning. Help me to speak. Help us to listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Again, Bible, chapter 6, verse 1. I want to I just look at the first half. I want to point it out. First half of verse 1, he, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So what's he, what's he telling his disciples and ordinary people like us that we might be tempted to do? What's he warning us about? He says, What I don't want you to do is I don't want you to do good things or religious things for the purpose of being seen and therefore praised and applauded. That last phrase, to be seen by them, is the key phrase because it's the statement of purpose. It tells us why you are doing these things. He doesn't say don't do these things. He says don't do these things for this reason. Don't let this be your motivation. Don't let your motivation for doing good things be that other people see you and clap for you. If you remember back to chapter 5, verse 16, we saw this a few weeks ago. Jesus said this. He said, let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So the problem is not doing good things in public. That's not the problem. The problem isn't even doing good things and having people see you do good things and respond to you. The problem is an invisible problem of the heart. It's why. If why you're doing those good things is simply to be seen, that's a problem. That is performative religion. It's not true religion. And Jesus warns us that that kind of behavior is dangerously seductive. He doesn't call us to hide in a bunker, withdraw from the world, just in case someone might see us do something good and, and, and praise you and, 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 and puff up your ego. No, he's not saying, don't live in fear. But be careful to ask yourself to inquire of your heart, why am I doing what I'm doing? Friends, performative religion is dangerously seductive and not just for Pharisees. Not just for people who wear their religion on their sleeves. Not just for people more conservative or more traditional than you. It's Seductive for all of us. Um, Jesus gives a few examples. The first one he gives, verses 2 to 4, is about giving to the poor, giving charity. Um, the wealthy people in his day, the, the hypocrites, the play actors, all of them were, seemed to be very generous people. They gave lots of their stuff, lots of their money away. They gave lots of money to the temple. You can imagine these people walking into the temple and just dumping all their huge piles of coins and cash and stuff into the and make this huge uh, racket and noise. Um, he, used, he says people will go around with literal trumpets blowing, saying, look at how much I'm giving. And we do similar things, don't we? I don't know if you ever said, guys, man, I, I'm like, I, went to, I had so much stuff to donate to the op shop this week. I couldn't even fit it in my car. Man, I would love to hang out with you this week, but, you know, I'm volunteering all day long at the animal shelter. I just, I just can't fit it in. Why do we talk like that? 
Well, maybe you don't, but some people do. Why? Because there's something in each and every one of us that craves praise for doing good. And secondhand praise works too. Man, let me tell you about my church. Do you know how many people got saved and baptized last year? Do you, do you know, like, man, do you know how many kids from Compassion that we sponsor? Like our, my last church, we never even talked about the poor. Why do we talk like that? Is it to glorify God? Or is it to, because we want that validation. We want people to go, oh man, you go to a really cool church. Man, you are, you are, you're, you're holy. You're, God it must be impressed with you. We just find ways to drop it into conversation. Oh, man, yesterday I was talking to Bob. You know Bob. He's going through a really hard time. I listened to him for an hour. An hour. And, man, I, I think you pray for Bob. Why do, why do we do that? It's perhaps that, again, we want people to know that we care and that we're good. I, I, I'm not so interested that you walk away from that interaction and pray for Bob or that you glorify God. I want you to validate me. And that's what's so seductive about this. The other examples Jesus gives are also religious acts, prayer, fasting. The hypocrites pray out in, out in the open, out on the street, because that's where they have the biggest audience. That's their motivation. The Gentiles, he says, pray these long, repetitive prayers with lots of words, like they're going to the casino. The more numbers I bet on, the more odds, the more chance I have of winning. So I'm just going to just cover all my bases and, and, and God might give me then what I want. But that's not what prayer is. Because that's not a prayer that comes from a heart of wanting to know God and be in fellowship with him. Jesus makes these examples almost kind of silly and over the top. You know, people who fast, who, they says they disfigure themselves. They actually put on stage makeup to make themselves look terrible. Now, did people do this really? Maybe some people. But I think Jesus is intentionally being a little bit over the top to even just be a bit humorous. Like, picture this, what it would look like for a grown, educated adult to put makeup on their face to make themselves look really emaciated and miserable just so they could get some random person's approval and validation on the street. But we do very similar things. We do very similar things. We, you know, you can, even in the secular world, talk about things like performative activism. I don't know if you've heard that term before. We see it on Facebook. How many of us, how many of our friends have Ukrainian flags in our, in our Facebook profiles at the moment? We, ha we have hashtags. We tell people to pray for this, that, and the other. I'm not saying that's always bad or that it comes from a, like a sinful motivation. But for a lot of us, it just stops there. We, we just want people to know that we care. We don't actually want them to change. We don't want to change. See, performative religion is actually really, really easy. It's really easy. It doesn't require much of us, which is why we do it. It doesn't cost me anything. Performative religion is dangerously seductive. But then secondly, performative religion is also a sign of spiritual death. Walk with me here. I'm not trying to be over the top. I'm just actually going with what Jesus says. Jesus warns us, verse 1, performative religion is really dangerous. Be careful, he says, not to do your righteousness in public. Then he says in verse 2 that those people who are giving to the poor just to be clapped, 
by others to get the golden buzzer. He says, they have their reward. That approval, that clapping, that laughter, whatever it is that they're wanting, they've got it. They've got it. They got what they want. Praise, recognition, honor, maybe a promotion, maybe a, an article about them in the advertiser. Who knows? That they got it. But that's it. That is all that they get. They, they're the legend of the hour until the clock strikes midnight and the coach turns back into a pumpkin. They wake up a normal, average, insecure human being like the rest of us the next morning and start all over again. They have their reward. Now let's go back to verse 1 again because I didn't read the second half. There's a little phrase I left out. Jesus says this. After he says, be careful not to do your righteousness in public, Jesus says this. He says, otherwise, otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Not less reward, no reward. What's he mean? He's saying, if all this stuff that you think you're doing for God, this religious stuff, if that's your bread and butter, then you are excluded from the rewards that God has prepared for his children. We're going to get there, in, but um, in chapter 7, I want to jump ahead, but it's so parallel here. It helps us understand. Jesus says this. He says, there's, there's going to be a lot of nice, generous, church-going people who, who come to heaven expecting to be honored, and they're going to be sent away. Why? Because Jesus says, they didn't do my Father's will. Wait, what do you mean, Jesus? I went to church every week. I gave money to missions. I, I shared the gospel with people. I read my Bible. I preached sermons. Do you know how many times I've done the 40-hour famine? Jesus, what do you mean? And he says, you haven't done my Father's will because my Father's will is for you to know God, to be in relationship with him. And, and I don't know you, and you don't know him. Jesus, see, is not simply a life coach teaching us to become a nice person. He's a, he's a son who gave his own life to bring you into a family, his father's family. And performative religion at his heart is a sign that that's not what we want. We want the benefits of the kingdom, but we don't want the king. And you can do all the church things, and you can fool everybody in your life, even yourself, into thinking that performative religion is true religion. But Jesus says, no, be careful. Because performative religion is a sign of death, not life. I asked you before to find the most significant word um, in the text. And it, I said it's the word father. It's ten times. Ten times in this text. I was listening to a sermon on this passage by a Scottish preacher called Sinclair Ferguson. And he put me on to this, this um, word father as a name, a description of who God is. You will not find it ten times in the entire Old Testament. It's there, but not 10 times. Here it is, 10 times in 18 verses. And I wondered, could it be that the reason why performative religion is so seductive and so deadly for, many, for so many of us is that we really, at the heart, don't believe or don't know how good it is to be able to approach a good and loving father? We just don't believe or we don't know how good that is. We, we, some of us, just by default, we picture God always as that really strict teacher at the front of the class 
one, two, three, eyes on me. And, but I really just want to look at Susie. She's more, much more interesting. And, 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 and we, we think that that's what God is like. And, or, or we compare God to our own father, as imperfect as he may have been, or, or even perhaps abusive. And, and we just don't believe that our father in, in heaven is good. But what does Jesus want us to know about your heavenly father from this text? What does he want us to know? Well, look at verses 3, 6, and 18. 3, 6, and 18, he repeats the same phrase. He says this. He, ta- he, he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. What does that mean? It means God, your father, is always in the audience. He's like the non-creepy version of Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad and good. And even when no one else knows. Even when no one else sees. Even when you don't even know. Notice the standard for giving to the poor in verse 3. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What's Jesus saying? I, I remember reading that like when I was little and thinking, man, it, like, does that mean that everybody giving an offering, like you have to be sort of half asleep, like sleepwalking? Otherwise, you can't do it. Like, you know, I'd watch my dad write out checks back in the day. That was how he'd give money to the church. I'm like, well, that's, is, like, how do you do that? How do you write a check when you're, anyway. But that's not what he means. He's, he, he means that you need, your heart's motivation is, again, not to be seen, not to be praised, but to be in communion in that moment as you give with your father, that that's enough, that that is where your joy and your satisfaction comes from. The fact that he sees, even when others don't, even when you don't. You know, I I think so much of our relational conflict would disappear if we lived like this, if we didn't keep lists and records of what we give. We can, fall, we can get trapped into such bitterness and frustration and despair even simply by keeping a list of all of our goodness and then a list, a very short list, of everyone else's. Our list gets long real quick. And that feeds bitterness and it feeds conflict. But this is how true religion works. This is how true religion works. We, God is at work invisibly in you to make you generous, not because you're trying to perform for an audience, but because he is making you into the very likeness of his son. And he often does that. We don't even recognize what he's doing. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone in the church has come to you and said, you know, I just want to encourage you that, man, you're just, I know what you've been through. And you're still so generous. You're still so humble. You have so much joy. I just can't, I don't understand it, but I just wanted to encourage you with that. I, I hope that we've, we've, we grow accustomed to encouraging each other that way. Because that's often the only way that we come to see the work of the Spirit in, our, in, in what he's doing in us is when someone else points it out. And that's beautiful. That's how it's meant to be. You know, change behavior doesn't start with just raw willpower. It starts with the invisible work of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. And if you want a changed heart, there is no substitute for spending 
quality time with your father. That's, that's where heart change starts. You know, Jesus' disciples had no idea how much God was their father, that God loved them so much. We have a lot more, like, a lot clearer picture of the father's love than they did. We have verses like Romans 5, 8, where Paul says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want validation? That's validation. That's the evidence of your standing before your father. It's not a thumbs up emoji. It's Jesus, the son, hanging, bleeding, dying for you. His only son. What list of your accomplishments could top that? How many people would have to validate you and how often to surpass the message of his love on the cross? If you're a child of God, here's your new status. Here's your new status. In the words of John, to all who did receive him, he gave them, that's you, if you're a Christian, he gave you the right to be a child of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. That's the gospel. The gospel validates you if you believe. It's the story of your adoption by your father who loves you more than you can even know. See, false performative religion starts with the picture and the idea that God is our boss and we're his employees. True religion starts with knowing who you are. You're his child. You're his child. You're born to receive from his hand, even all the way down to the secret places of your heart. That's where he does his best work. He knows what you need before you ask. That's why you don't have to pray these long, exhaustive prayers. He knows. He, he forgives all of your offenses. Verse 14. Not because you twisted his arm with religious acts and struck a deal with him, but because he loves you. True religion starts with knowing who you are. I said before, we did the series on the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 to 13 last year, so I, I won't go into it today. I'll, I'll just say... How, if you read it, you notice how simple true religion is. We complicate it. The heart of prayer is tied up with knowing the Father's heart, knowing that he is holy, knowing that his will for you is to know him and be like him, that his kingdom is coming, that he's a giver, that our, your, all of our daily needs are met in him, that he forgives our sin and he teaches us to forgive others that he protects us from evil and leads us out of temptation. See, prayerlessness is a sign of spiritual sickness, of a heart that's satisfied with cheap imitations of processed spirituality filled with empty calories rather than the nourishment that is spending time with him, hearing his voice, having his ear, gathering with his people. Let me say one more thing about true religion, and it's this. True religion desires real rewards. True religion desires real rewards. That is the second most common word in this path. After father is rewards. The word reward is seven times. Verse one, Jesus says, if you do religious stuff to get claps from people, then that's your reward. That's all the reward you get. But when you're content to live as a child, 
to get to know your heavenly father through a life of daily taking up your cross and following after him, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, spending time in his word, fasting from good things for short periods to be able to focus your eyes and your heart more on him and what he has to give. Not pursuing applause, but simple joy in him. That is when your light begins to shine brightly. That is what makes you stand apart from the world that is addicted and exhausted by performance. Others will see that and they will glorify not you, but him. And I pray that's your longing because it is a worthwhile and beautiful reward. If all you want in this life is claps, and validation from the sinners and recovering sinners around you, then that was all you will get. But you can ask Jesus to change what you want. Tell him you want more. Tell him you're not satisfied with the approval of other people like you. Tell him you want a heart that is only satisfied with the approval and the validation that comes from the Father. God who made you, who loves you. See, I said before, all of you, all of us in our souls have this inbuilt longing for praise and validation. We all want to be noticed and honored. Even Jesus' disciples had it. They got into fights all the time saying, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? We all, we, we all have those moments. Is it sinful to want honor? Is it sinful to crave it? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. It's sinful to crave honor from other sinners. It's not sinful to crave honor from God. And in Christ, he gives it abundantly. There will be a day when if you are in Christ and you persevere in Christ, you will stand before him and he will say, well done, my son. You are amazing, my daughter. You will hear those words. All of your suffering, all of your pain, all of the confusion and the things you've been through to produce in you the weight of glory that is the image of Christ in you, all of it will come clear in that moment when your father, when you hear his voice, the same way Jesus heard his voice when he was baptized, this is my son, this is my daughter, who I love. That's your future. If you're in Christ, that's why you compare that to somebody sending you a funny reaction and approving you on, on social media or just, you know, giving you that knowing nod when you tell them how generous you are. You know, it's, this is, it's just simple daily walking with him. That is true religion and true religion leads to true rewards. One of the verses I come back to a lot um, Hebrews 12, 2. See, Jesus lived this way. Jesus lived for true rewards. It says that in Hebrews 12, 2. It says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, who's the pioneer perfecter of your faith, as in he's leading the way. He says, this is true life. This is true religion. Walk in this way. What did he do? He says, for the joy that lay before him, for the reward that lay before him, he endured the cross. See, true religion Keeping your eyes on him, longing for rewards, is how we endure suffering. There is no other way to get through the hard valleys and pain of life. There isn't. 
It is keeping our eyes on Jesus, longing for approval from him and him alone. See, every single one of Jesus' disciples in the moment that he was there on the cross, every single one of them abandoned him, but never once did his father leave him, not even on the cross. It was his joy of being in the presence of his father that lit the fire in his heart every single day. And then he breathed his last, it is finished into your hands, I commit my spirit. That is not a sign of failure. Those are words of victory and joy. And I pray that for for me and for you and that our religion, our lives are heading in that same trajectory. We follow him as our pioneer with our eyes locked on the reward that he has in store for you. That you would have the same desire to live in the presence of God every single day, to be under his gaze. The father who sees in secret will reward you. He holds nothing back not even his own son. Would you pray with me? God, I am mindful that even for myself and for us, we live in a world that wants us to be on that treadmill, that that treadmill of just endless performance and uh, seeking approval and praise from fellow sinners. Lord, we just need your help to hit the off switch to stop and be content and satisfied with being, living in your presence. Lord, would we long for more than the small prize of temporary validation? Would we long for the validation that comes in spades from you? Help us to see Jesus on the cross and believe that In him and only in him, we can be satisfied, validated, adopted, loved, protected. Help us as we come to the table to remember all of those things and feel and know your blessing and your love again. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.